Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. Hebrews chapter 8, in a moment we'll begin reading with verse number 6 of Hebrews chapter 8. We're in a series from the book of Hebrews entitled White Knuckle Faith. You know by now that the writer of Hebrews is writing to a group of predominantly Jewish Christians who are being tempted to abandon the Christian faith for their old way of life. Uh, Now, there are others in this congregation who are being tempted to abandon their Christianity for different reasons. Some because they're disappointed with God. Others because they're disappointed with God's people. It's very easy to become disappointed with God's people. For some, they've become a little disenchanted with whether or not Jesus really can effectively deal with our sin problem. Some people are just disappointed with the Christian life in general. They thought it would be a certain way. Once they got into it, it wasn't quite what they thought, and so they're thinking about going back. There are some other reasons, but you get the idea. They are being tempted to drift away from their Christian faith. And so this writer urgently, in every single verse of every single chapter, is urging these people to hold on to the simple Christian faith to which they've been called, and to hold on to it with a white-knuckled grip. Thus the title of the series, White-Knuckled Faith. Now, in uh, uh, chapter 7 and going into chapter 8, the writer made the point that Jesus is our ultimate high priest. That is, He is the ultimate intercessor between us and God. Because of what Jesus has done, we don't have to worry about going through a human priest here. We can go straight through uh, Christ to God. We have access ourselves. That's what we call the priesthood of every believer. That we actually not only have a high priest in Jesus, but we become priests ourselves in that we can go straight to God. And the writer says this, that Jesus is a high priest, not from the Levite tribe of priests in the Old Testament, but from an older, better line of priests that dates all the way back to Abraham in Genesis chapter 14, the priesthood of this mysterious character named Melchizedek. Now, after dealing with that, the writer of Hebrews says that because of everything that Jesus has done, because of everything that God has done through Jesus, What God is doing in our days is offering us a new deal and a better deal than any deal that he's ever offered us before. I want you to look with me to Hebrews chapter 8, beginning with verse 6. But in fact, he says, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs, that is the Levite priest, as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, these words are quoted from Jeremiah, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant 
and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Like you, I love the fact that we live in the United States of America. I love our nation. I love our country. I love freedom. Big on freedom. Big on civil liberties. When the New World was first discovered, there were Europeans who embarked upon a very dangerous journey across the Atlantic to America. There were people from Spain and Portugal and England and France and elsewhere. And every one of them came to this country looking for, here it is, a new deal. A better deal than the one they had. Sometime later, there were Irish immigrants who began pouring in, escaping a great potato famine over in Ireland. And they were also escaping religious persecution as well. And, and then there were Chinese immigrants who ventured across the Pacific. Many of them helped connect the West with railroads. And later came Catholic, Catholic and Lutheran Germans who came over to the States, many of whom settled here in the Midwest and searched for a place where they could freely practice their faith without the threat of persecution. And all of these people who came at different points in our, in our nation's history, they came in search of, here it is, here it is, a better deal. There were Jews from Russia and other areas of ethnic oppression who, who came, followed all these earlier uh, journeymen over to the New World, and they were looking for something better. And then there were Koreans, and there were Vietnamese, and they were fleeing the harsh political regimes of their homelands. And again, they were looking for a better deal. To the point where all of us realize as we look around our world that America is a melting pot of different ethnic, social, and religious backgrounds. We are a melting pot of people who have come to this place or their ancestors came to this place in search of a better deal. When the pilgrims came, they were looking for a better deal. It's, it's really ironic, uh, the better deal they were looking for. They had lived in, uh, in, in the part of Europe where, where there was a marriage of church and state. And the marriage was between Christianity and the state. And so the state controlled Christianity and the Christianity controlled the state. They were married to each other in such a way that in England, you had to be a member of the Church of England or else you were ruled illegal. John Smith was the first pastor of a Baptist church, wanted to start a Baptist church in England and it was illegal for him to do so, and so he left England, went to 
Denmark and he started the first Baptist church in the world. He had an assistant pastor named Thomas Helwes. Thomas Helwes stayed there about a year and a half. And then he left there and went back to England because he says, I want to start a church at home. And he went back to England and he started the first Baptist church on English soil. And when he did, he wrote a letter to King James of the King James Version, letting him know that he'd started it. And King James promptly arrested Thomas Helwes and he died in prison just because he was Baptist and not Anglican. And so the pilgrims and many of the others who left that part of Europe for the new world, they left because they wanted a better deal. They wanted religious freedom, which, by the way, is something that we better hold on to also with a white-knuckled grip. They were looking for a better deal. Aren't we all looking for a better deal? Every day we get up and we want this day to be better than the day before. We want our children's lives to be better than ours was. And our, our parents wanted our lives to be better than theirs was. I know my parents did. I heard them say it. One of our senior adults sent me an email earlier this week. She was concerned about things in our world. And she said, I just want my children and grandchildren to have at least the kind of life I had. We're looking for a better deal. The writer of Hebrews is writing to these people who are thinking about drifting away from their Christian faith. And he's saying, look, you're wanting to drift back to the old, what's called the old deal. The deal where when you sinned, you went before the priest and you confessed your sins to the priest. And the priest killed a, an, a, an animal without blemish and sprinkled that animal's blood all over the altar. And he made a sacrifice on the behalf of your sins after, of course, having made a sacrifice on the behalf of his own sins. And then you'd leave from there and you'd live your life for a while, but you know you'd sin again. In fact, you'd probably sin on your way home from having gone to the temple to make that sacrifice. And so, again, you'd have to come back after some time to the priest and offer a sacrifice again. And this is something you'd have to do over and over and over again. Is that really the deal that you want? He's saying God in these days is offering a new deal. A new deal. A deal that the writer of Hebrews says, and this is really a bold statement. Every time I read this, I read it last Wednesday night in prayer meeting. I read it again this morning. It makes me shiver a little bit. He says this new deal is so, so perfect that it makes the old deal obsolete to the point that it is disappearing. Do you realize how major that statement is? That the Old Testament covenant, he says, is disappearing because it's outdated and it's obsolete. Are you kidding me? That's what he's saying. This is the word of God here. Now, a question comes up with these people, and I think it's a good question. How is the new covenant, the new deal, better than the old one? We kind of like the old one. You know why people like the old deal? Because you have to do something. It's more concrete. You have to do something. People in our day like to have to do something in order to get something. It's hard for us to believe that something uh, that is the most valuable commodity 
in all the universe comes to us totally free of charge. All we have to do is receive it. And that's a little tough for us to get our arms around because everything that is of value in our world and our material world costs us something. You want a nice house? You're going to have to pay for it. You want one that's built of better quality than what you could get for lesser quality? You've got to pay for it. You want a nice car as opposed to a, uh, a lemon? You've got to pay for it. The best things in life materially come with a cost. But here, the most valuable thing of all comes free of charge. And that's a little tough for us to get our, to get our hands around. So how is this new deal better than the old deal? Well, it gives us a number of, uh, a number of ways in which this new deal is better than the old deal. First of all, he says it's better because the new covenant or the new deal is based upon a better mediator. A better mediator. A mediator is someone who is a go-between. The high priest would go between the people and God. He went to God on their behalf. In fact, one time a year, the high priest would go into what's called the Holy of Holies. He would only go into it one time a year, and nobody else was allowed to go back there. Now, what would happen if the high priest, who was almost always an old man, what if he went back into the Holy of Holies and maybe passed out. You can't go in there and get him. What would you do? Well, they put a little rope around the bottom of his robe and that robe would go out across the room that was the Holy of Holies out from under the curtain way out there where everybody else was. And if old man high priest happened to pass out, they would have to drag him out with that rope because they could not dare go in there. He was the mediator between the people and God. But there were a number of things that were disadvantageous to this particular high priest. For one thing, he was imperfect. He had to sacrifice for himself before he could sacrifice for anybody else because he was a sinful person just like everybody else. Second, he was susceptible to death. At some point, he's going to die and somebody else has to take his place. Third, he lacked the staying power over people's sins. In other words, it wasn't possible for him to make one sacrifice and be done with it. That would have been nice. Somebody come up to him and said, I've sinned. I need for you to uh, make a sacrifice for me. I'll be glad to, the high priest says. I'll cut up this lamb and we'll sprinkle his blood on the uh, altar and you won't have to do this anymore. That would have been nice, except for that wasn't the way it was. He kept having to repeat the sacrifices because they never fully removed the sins. They only covered them. And so, under the New Deal, we have Jesus as a high priest... Rather than being imperfect, he was totally perfect, lived a sinless life. Rather than being susceptible to death, he was victorious over death and lives today. And rather than, than lacking staying power over sins, the Bible tells us that the sacrifice he made, which was not of some lamb out there, but of himself, was once for all. It never has to be repeated. And when we come to him by faith and trust him to be our savior and Lord and live for him, the Bible teaches us that we never have to come back and ask forgiveness for sins, at least not for the purpose of having salvation again. There might be times when our fellowship with God is hindered and we may have to deal with that. But it's, it, I gave my life to Christ when I was eight years old. I was young. 
I didn't understand a whole lot, still don't understand a whole lot today. But one thing I know, I don't have to go to the Lord in prayer and say, God, I need for you to forgive me because I think that I, I, I know that I've sinned and I think I'm lost again. I never have to do that. Because Christ on the cross saved us from all sins, past, present, future. He is the perfect mediator. He's a better mediator than the one they had under the new deal, under the old deal. Second, the new deal is better because the new deal is established upon better promises. Verse number six, he says the new covenant is established on better promises. Now, this is a little uh, confusing here to me because the writer of Hebrews doesn't tell us what the promises are. What are those better promises? He doesn't go into, uh, he doesn't elaborate on that. One commentator said this, says the promises in the first covenant, the old deal, pertain mainly to the present life. They were promises of length of days, increase of numbers, of seed time and harvest, of national privileges, of extraordinary peace, abundance, and prosperity. That there was also the promise of eternal life. It would be wrong to doubt, but this was not the main thing. In the new covenant, however, the promise of spiritual blessings becomes the principal thing. The mind is directed toward heaven, but not just heaven then and there, but heaven here and now. The heart is cheered with the hopes of immortal life, the favor of God, and the anticipation of what is to come. This new covenant, Jesus doesn't promise us necessarily length of days and he doesn't promise us a financial prosperity but what he does promise us is an abundant life a richer fuller spiritual life both here and in the world to come the new deal the writer of hebrews says comes with better promises number three this new deal is better because it is based upon the faithfulness of god rather than the faithfulness of God's people. You see, the Old Testament, when God gave commands, He said, this is what's going to happen. There were were, uh, blessings and and curses. He says, I will bless you if you do this, this, and this. However, I will curse you if you do this, this, and that. All of the blessings of God that were promised in the Old Testament were conditional promises. For instance... Uh, one of the most often quoted promises in, in, the, in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, If my people, you see here, if, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, I will heal their land. It was a conditional promise. Conditional promise. You you go through the whole Old Testament. I challenge you to go through the whole Old Testament and and look at the promises of God and the the blessings that are pronounced upon the people. They are conditional promises, conditioned upon the people's obedience to God. Now, here's the problem. They never could do it. Let me say two things. First of all, when they tried to do it, they could not do it. But more than half the time, they didn't even try to do it. They weren't interested in pleasing God. But even when they wanted to please God and tried to, they couldn't. You say, well, why would God command them to do something that they could not obey anyway? Because he wanted them to get to realize that they couldn't, so they'd look for something else. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But you see, this new covenant, 
This new covenant is not based on what you can do. There's no such thing as, well, if you obey these commandments and you do this thing and you do that thing and you feed this person and you love this person and all this, then God will give you eternal life. Nothing like that. God says, if you believe in your heart on the Lord Jesus and you confess with your mouth that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It is a promise to us that comes by simply receiving Christ as our Savior. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse, verse 12, talking about Jesus, he says, John says, but as many as received Christ to them, he gave the right to become children of God. It's a matter of receiving. It's not a matter of doing. And so the new covenant is better because it's based on God's faithfulness, not the actually faithlessness of his people. Verse 7, for if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people. They are the ones who could not obey. Number four, the new covenant is eternal, not external. It's, it's internal, not external. Verse 10, this is the covenant I will establish with my people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. This is a direct quote from Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning with verse 31, where Jeremiah said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. And he says, he says, in that covenant, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. The old deal in the Old Testament dealt with external rituals. You have to keep these commandments. You have to offer these sacrifices. You have to fast on certain days. There on the Sabbath day, you can only, uh, you can't do any work and you can't even make but so many steps a day. They began to put all these external requirements. It was all external. But the Lord says in this new deal, forget all the external stuff. I'm going to plant my presence in you. My laws in your mind. And write them in your heart. No longer are they going to be written in stone. They're going to be written on the, on the, 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 the uh, deep being of your heart and soul. Christ is in you, Paul says. And it is the hope of glory, he writes to the Colossians. So the new covenant is better because it's internal, not external. Number five, the new covenant is better because it offers true forgiveness for sins. Verse 12, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. I've already mentioned that in the Old Testament, the high priest would have to continually make sacrifices for people because what he did covered their sin. It didn't remove their sin. But what Jesus did on the cross doesn't just cover over our sin. It removes our sin. It doesn't mean that as Christians we won't commit sin. But the power and the penalty of sin is no longer hovering over us like a bad dream. It doesn't have to, unless, of course, we choose for it to. But what Jesus did offers true forgiveness, a once-for-all sacrifice so that we can have eternal life. And then finally, the new covenant the new deal is better because it brings a new understanding of the old covenant. He 
Here is the misunderstanding of the old covenant. Are you ready for this? Here's, here's the misunderstanding. If you obey my, the commands, the Old Testament commands, the Ten Commandments and all the law, there's a whole lot more of the law than just the Ten Commandments, but if you obey that, then you'll be a perfect person and you will have eternal life. That's the misunderstanding of the old deal. A lot of people still have that understanding of the old deal. Even though they've been saved under the new deal, the new covenant, they, a lot of people still want to go back and pick out parts, little dissect parts of the old deal and try to enforce them upon other people. It's a misunderstanding of the old deal, ladies and gentlemen. Here is the true understanding of the old deal. God laid out some commandments that were absolutely impossible for you and me to follow. And when we tried to follow them, thinking that by following them we could gain for ourselves eternal life, which is what the, many of the Old Testament Jews did and many people today do, but what we find is we fail. We cannot keep them. And it puts us in a major dilemma. What do we do now? What do we do now? If I can't obey these things faithfully in my own power, what do I need? I need something outside of me, someone outside of me. And so really, the real purpose of the old deal, the Old Testament, the old covenant, was not so that we could obey commandments to have eternal life, but it was to try to obey commandments, to see that we fail at obeying commandments, to prompt us to realize we need Christ. Because He is the only one who can come into our lives and enable us to live the Christian life like it ought to be lived. We're not under the old deal. If you're in Christ, you're under a new deal. It's a better deal. So much so, again, that the writer in verse 13 says, by calling this covenant, this deal new, God has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. It's down there at Scott's Antique Market. God's given us a new deal. It's a new deal that comes in the person of Jesus Christ. We receive it by grace. Over and over again, the writer of Hebrews hammers this point that Jesus is better. His salvation is better. His way of life is better. His plan for your life is better than anything else that may come our way. So don't drift away from the best that God has to offer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, this writer keeps hammering this point over and over again. And certainly these people, you'd think they were getting tired much as maybe our people are getting tired of me hammering this same point every single week in this series, Jesus is better, Jesus is better. But Lord, I know, I know because my own human nature puts me in the same boat. I know that there are people here who have heard this message over and over again, even here in this place, 
And yet the temptation to choose another plan besides the plan that you have for their lives is so great. That while they've heard it over and over again, that Jesus plan is better, Jesus plan is better. There's still that temptation to go with an alternative plan. Lord, I pray for those folks who are so tempted to try something else. Lord, we're going into this invitation. There are those here who need to begin that relationship with Jesus. They need to come to receive you as their Savior. There are those who need to join this church. There are those who need to be baptized. There are those who need to bring other decisions, maybe to rededicate their lives to you. There are those who need to bring their trials and their problems to the altar. There are those who need to bring their triumphs and their praises to this altar. Lord, may this time beginning right now be a time of life change for somebody. It's in your name we ask it, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Amen.